Welcome to the Preacher's Podcast for the sixth Sunday after the Epiphany in year A. We are uh, well into our series called The Savior's Sermon during this Epiphany season as we think of Jesus revealing who he is. We also take note of the fact that he reveals who we are as his disciples. And through the Sermon on the Mount that we are studying, um, he is revealing a lot about what it means to follow him. So today we're going to be thinking about the Savior's Sermon, Matthew 5, 21 to 37, Live a Holy Life is our theme for the day. Well, let's meet our participants with us for this series, Pastor Phil Kasmer from Christ the Lord Lutheran Church in Brookfield, Wisconsin, and Pastor Phil Hebner from Wisconsin Lutheran High School in Wauwatosa. So thank you, Phil, and Phil for serving today. Uh, Phil Hebner, can you get us started by talking for a moment about the theme for this particular Sunday in our series? Yeah, glad to do that. Um, you set up the context again very well, and that's that we are in seasonally epiphany here as Jesus reveals himself. So we think all the way back to revealing himself to the Magi, and that his baptism anointed, pointed to as the Lamb of God, and he's the light of the world. Then we transition into this series that we're in right now, where he more specifically reveals himself through his teaching in this great Sermon on the Mount. So we had him reveal who he is and who we are as blessed, this kind of upside down thing through the Beatitudes, which led into who we are, the light of the world, the salt of the earth. And, um, you know, ending that last time with the last text talking about the righteousness of the Pharisees. So today we get really specifically into what does that mean? Jesus tells us that to be salt and to be light and have our righteousness surpass the Pharisees means that we're going to live a holy life. So today we'll take a couple uh, chunks, a couple paragraphs of this Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is very, very clear. And uh, I suppose you could say throws the hammer down with the law on what does it mean to be holy, to live a God-pleasing life? Um, what are God's expectations? So that's what we're looking at today. Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 to 37. Thanks for that, that good setup, um, getting us back into the flow of our series and seeing how this particular week's theme um, fits into the whole series, the big picture. Uh, Phil Kasmer, let's go to you next. We are going to be focusing on the gospel once again. Could you brief us on the first reading and the second reading and show some points of connection between those and what we will be discussing today. Yeah, I think we have um, a negative example for us in the first lesson and a positive example in the second reading, uh, both connected to the good thoughts in the prayer of the day. Uh, receive the prayers of your people, Lord God, grant them the wisdom to know the things that please you and the grace and power always to accomplish them through your spirit. Well, uh, in 2 Samuel 11, the selected verses there, we have that very familiar account of King David. Um, whether you want to argue at verse 1 that he wasn't where he ought to be, uh, he was not a king off to war, but a king at home while everyone else was off to war. And then he got down to funny business and disregarding God's law entirely to take a woman as his own and then even to cover his sin. Uh, by killing Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, um, David completely disregards the word of the Lord for his own desires. 
and uh, Samuel's clear what David had done displeased the Lord. And obviously we're familiar with what the prophet says to him after that. Uh, so a negative example, um, David walks through covering over his sin and, and securing what he wants for himself and his own heart. Uh, and then in the second reading, uh, a positive example is Paul writes his first letter to Thessalonica um, in the fourth chapter. He's essentially saying, we told you believers how to live as God's people, and you're doing that uh, day by day. Um, you're following through on verse three. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that God did not call us to be impure, uh, but to lead a life that pleases him and anything else uh, for maybe the only negative in that section is rejecting the instruction that God's given by his Holy Spirit. Uh, Paul calls them and us to a daily life that by our holy living and love for God wins the respect of outsiders and shows that we are, we are fully and firmly in his grace. Right, that, that's interesting reading in that um, our sanctified lives, or sadly sometimes the lack thereof, have an impact on our connection with God, but also on our um, connections with other people. And yeah, that last verse brings out, um, if I'm flipping it in a negative way, um, our mission outreach efforts too, as uh, you know, we are not credible witnesses um, if we are neglecting that part of our lives, being salt, being light, living to God's glory, but how powerful it is also when we do that by the Spirit's power, um, winning the respect of outsiders, uh, that has an impact there too. Uh, but let's get into our uh, gospel reading for today, uh, Matthew 5, 21 to 37, our next section of the Sermon on the Mount. Phil Hebner, could you get us started? Um, how should preachers approach this text? Yeah, well, I'll go back to some of the introductory thoughts here. I think it's really wise um, if you're going to preach on any part of the Sermon on the Mount to help the congregation with the greater context. Um, and so I suppose each preacher would be into individually making their own choices. I know when I have preached on chunks of this, I've usually chosen to do um, the whole Sermon on the Mount. So just week by week, I'll preach through it because it's kind of hard to just pick one of these texts, um, you know, out of context, so to speak. So perhaps the preacher is doing that, but maybe not. Re regardless, it's worth a couple of sentences to set up where exactly are we at and what are we talking about. So as I mentioned in the introduction, I think it's probably pretty important to talk about the context of being salt and light that Jesus had just talked about. It's especially important probably to bring up the previous verse 20. I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom. Or even the verses before that about how not any bit of my law and commandments are going to disappear uh, because that is now establishing the context for what Jesus is about to see or about to say, um, Hey, you want to talk about righteousness. You want to talk about holiness. Here's what it's like. Um, and so what Jesus really sets up here is maybe the, the superficial outward appearance um, with the, you have heard that it's said, um, Hey, you know, the fifth commandment, you know, the sixth commandment, but here's really what that means. Um, I guess you could say, like in a catechism standpoint, it's the difference between a, a catechism student learning you shall not murder and then learning Luther's explanation, what does this mean? Uh, because Jesus kind of gives us a what does this mean? 
Uh, and so maybe a phrase for the preacher to really hone in on is uh, the repeated ego de lego. You know, you have heard this is said, but I'm saying to you that this is the case. And Jesus says that over and over in each paragraph, each paragraph. I'm saying to you, this is what holiness really looks like. Uh, so first is the understanding generally of what Jesus is going for here, a detailed explanation of holiness and righteousness and, and what that looks like. Uh, and the way this is set up um, for the text with so many paragraphs for this week, and I'm just reading the paragraph headings, teaching about anger, adultery, divorce, oaths, that kind of thing. I think it can be easy for the preacher to get lost in the mix and miss the forest for all the trees. So um, I'll toss it over to Phil in just a second here and to you, John, but um, you know, we'll talk about some of these little interesting phrases, but I think the danger would be to do too much of that, you know, to explain every last little phrase or nuance of their culture. I I'm sure we're going to want to talk about to our people, what does Raqqa mean or explain a little bit of the context of divorce perhaps um, but we don't want to be just teaching about their culture or teaching about their practices or here's what Jesus means. We really got to drill down to the greater point of what is holiness and really how rotten and sinful is my heart and how quickly do I fall short of God's glory. That, that's what we're talking about here in the greater context. So I'll just pause with some of those thoughts. And I'll kick it over to you guys to maybe explore a little bit more of each paragraph and how we might, uh, you know, take those in our sermons with our people. Yeah, thank you for that. Good, uh, good thing to keep in mind, yeah, not to get too wrapped up in every little detail, uh, because there are so many here worthy of our attention, but for homiletical purposes, um, probably just not time to delve into any of them. And as you said, yeah, you can miss um, the forest, the big picture, by focusing in too much on all the, the minute details here, though they are, of course, all God's word and worthy of our attention. But yeah, a bigger point uh, to stress as we preach on this. Uh, Phil Kasmer, um, want to piggyback on anything that uh, Phil said or uh, add some insights uh, as you approach this text? Yeah, I think I would say the same thing and maybe pivot into it a little bit. Um, I had a note in my own notes, and I, I couldn't find where I got it from because I'm not a Latin dude, but um, I had marked this section with the word radical, and you know that comes from that Latin root radix, which means root, uh, which I think is what Jesus is doing here, and Phil rightly mentioned you did too, John. He's getting down to the root of the issue um, that I don't, I don't keep God's law. And even when I try, it's often in a um, self-serving outward way, or it can be, uh, which a lot of these are. There's a, throughout, I think, a kind of a theme of my self-focused service, as opposed to the heart of the law, the, the root of things that you know, lets God be God in my heart and down to my thoughts and the very center of everything that I want to do his will. Um, you know, for instance, if you took Raqqa and Morat, those words in the first paragraphs, you know, that's like a word equivalent to calling somebody an idiot or Morat has like a um, moral equivalent or, or connotation to it, like you're just a morally bad person. Anytime I'm doing that, I'm um, 
I am dissociating myself from someone or I'm saying that they're not worthy of my time, love, action, whatever, which is pretty much opposite keeping the laws, loving my neighbor entirely. Uh, and so to piggyback on what Bill said, I think if I was going to use any of these specific things in here, or as we talk about them, I, I might relate them all to that kind of theme. Uh, the way my sinful nature can just serve me to the disregard of others, which is pointedly marked as not righteous by Jesus throughout this section in various ways. I'd start there, I guess. Yeah, um, as you preach this text, that I think, yeah, I, uh, as I've said, I agree with you both that get the bigger picture here. What is the root problem that Jesus is addressing? Can I ask you both, uh, how much time would you spend kind of walking through the different sections? Um, would you go through them paragraph by paragraph and point things out? Or would you just keep it at a 10,000 foot level um, and, uh, and talk about the bigger problem that is here? Um, just I'm thinking just in practical terms for how you're writing out your sermon, um, how much time and attention would you give to these different sections? Thoughts to that point, uh, Phil Hebner? Yeah, so I, I look back and I've preached on this text three or four times uh, in my ministry. And each time, I guess, I, uh, they were different sermons. And each time I, I kind of did the same way. It, the text lends itself in some ways to kind of walking through the text. Um, and so I guess I did the same approach both times. I didn't really go 10,000 feet, but I suppose you could say I hovered in a helicopter at like 5,000 feet. Um, and so the, I guess the way I did it was maybe a passing sentence or two explaining as Phil did really well about like what's Raka or you fool more or whatever. Uh, but then transitioning right away into like what would be our modern equivalent. Um, and so I guess the way I handled it was to think about how Jesus just so well um, points to how easily we sin. Again, I'll say it that way again. Um, and so to think about, um, I, I can look at the news and be like, look at these awful people, look at these murderers. You know, um, I can say, look at social media or look at this filth on the radio and their bad words. But Jesus so quickly points the finger back and I see, man, I break that fifth commandment so fast with how I talk to people on social media or my little biting comments, or when you start jumping into like verse 28, and you're talking about just looking at someone lustfully, like, give me a break. You know, that is near impossible in our modern Western world. And so, you know, when I've preached on this, getting away from, again, talking about their cultural context, but maybe at a 5,000 foot level, our cultural context, how easy it is to slip into that with some very practical examples. Or even if you're talking like a, I don't know what commandment you want to pick, second commandment or eighth commandment, when you're talking about your oaths and keeping your word and being honest and, and truthful, how easy it is for us to not swear by Jerusalem, the city of the great king, but you know, I swear on my mama's grave or I swear to God or some kind of modern example. Um, so I guess I'll just say quickly that um, I have walked through the text in my sermons briefly, but really focused on not what Jesus' context was, but how that applies to ours so easily and so well. Thank you. Yeah, Phil Casberg. Yeah, uh, I think I have preached on this once, maybe twice. Um, 
and have done similarly uh, each time spent much more time drilling into the central point of the depth of true righteousness actually keeping the law in perfection and that i don't and then have used each of these um maybe not that well as a 21st century reference but that would be good used each of these referentially like see how easy it is to fall into sin uh and maybe more you know, in here, in each of these paragraphs, you have this, you'll be in danger of the fire of hell. You'll be thrown into prison. Better to lose a part of your body than to go into hell. Um, anything beyond this comes from the evil one. There's like the full extent is God's judgment and to preach that severity too, that on the basis of my own righteousness, the best it can be, or in actuality that it's often just this fickle, I'm in serious trouble. Uh, and that's what the law does to me. Phil Hebner? Yeah, I just want to add on that thought, which is really great. Um, you know, again, it's good to kind of walk through some of these things, give modern application, but we also want to be really careful as preachers because though many of these sins are common, not all of God's people struggle with these specific things. You know, for example, like greed and money aren't touched on here. So if we get really too specific on, our words and our false oaths, you know, we're breaking our, you know, being dishonest or um, adultery and lust. We're, we're, we could be easily missing a great chunk of God's people here. And so the bigger point Phil has brought up a couple of times very well, that it's more about my heart. It's more about my false piety. And, uh, you know, look at, I'm like a Pharisee. I'm so good. Uh, I, I know the whole liturgy by heart and I put my, my rear end in a pew every Sunday and I give my weekly offering and look how good I am when, when Jesus is showing us just how serious sin is. And thank you, Phil, for bringing up that danger of the fire of hell, because I'm sure that was shocking for the people that Jesus was talking to. And it ought to be to us as well. Like you're telling me, Jesus, that I do this little thing and I'm going to hell. That's not the way our world thinks, right? Like I'm such a good person or I'm a pretty good person. And for us to know that any sin against any commandment is going to toss me to the greatest damnation of hell forever and ever, that's where we need to get God's people with this sermon is to understand how deep our depravity and how dangerous and damnable our sins are. Could we say that? that's really kind of the root disease that we're talking about. And the things that Jesus points out here are sort of presenting symptoms of that deeper corruption of our sinful nature. And even if you don't present with these particular symptoms, you know, all of us are in the same boat. We've, we're still dealing with the same core disease, as it were, um, deep down, right? So that was a good point you made, Phil, that some believers might not struggle with one or two or, or some of these, but it, it doesn't mean we're off the hook. Um, we're still dealing with the same root cause, that deeply uh, infected uh, nature that we have that Jesus points out here. And therefore, our inability to produce righteousness from ourselves that will count in the sight of God. Um, okay, now here's the, the difficult part in this text Where's the gospel? How do you preach the gospel? Um, 
this is law, first paragraph, second paragraph law, uh, third paragraph law, kind of all the way throughout. And we know that's that's the emphasis of Jesus in this section. Um, what are some strategies you could suggest for preachers for preaching the gospel in a sermon on this text? Who wants to go first? Phil Kasmer? I just went back. The last time I preached on it, I had a bunch of Luther notes in there, so I was looking at a couple of his sermons on this, and I, I do find it refreshing that, I mean, I don't know about you two or anybody else, but sometimes I feel like I have to, or I end up with some gimmicky turn to the gospel, which is probably terrible, um, <laughs> and how straightforward Luther is, and even sarcastic about, yeah, you go ahead and approach God with your righteousness and see what happens. Um, but he's so straightforward in just saying, yep, this is a problem. I can't keep these things, and you all feel it. This is terrible, terrible, terrible. And so pray to the Lord and say, oh, my God, change me. Grant me thy grace. God then comes and says, behold, since you know yourself and seek grace from me, I will change you and do as you desire. And though you are not so perfect as Christ, as indeed thou should be, I shall nevertheless have my son's life and perfection cover your imperfections or in a different spot. Uh, the true comfort doesn't rest on our ability, but on the fact that we have a gracious God who forgives our sins and on the fact that we believe in Christ and not in our own worthiness, um, which is super basic. But I wonder if in this text, that's just what you do. You say, we're lost except for this. And you preach it that straightforwardly. Great. Phil? I think this text presents an incredible opportunity that is a little more challenging sometimes in other sermons, and that is to so clearly preach the active and passive obedience of Christ. Um, because when you are just hit square between the forehead, you know, between the eyes uh, in the forehead with the law here, it, <laughs> I mean, it's just embarrassing and shameful when you stare in the mirror and think about what Jesus is saying and just you feel gross and yucky as a like, how am I even God's child? How is it impossible? Um, but to walk through the act of obedience, I'm so lost. But as Phil said and, and Luther said, but then there's the perfect Christ and all these things where it's like, are you kidding me, Jesus? Like, there's no way I could do that. But he did. All of it, all the time, nonstop. And then that he would even not only do the impossible that way, but do what seems perhaps even more impossible, and that's to grasp us and, and clutch us and grip us and pull us out of the depths of those fires of hell by taking it onto his shoulders at the cross and paying for it. every ounce. You know, again, it's not just the, man, I didn't murder anyone, but I've done all this awful stuff. And it just is mounted on me like a mountain of guilt. And he took it all away at the cross and washed it all away. And so I, I just think there's some awesome gospel opportunities, though it's not specifically in the text. The, the text is the springboard to go right to Christ, who, again, is the one preaching the sermon. And it, I, I would wonder, for those who heard Jesus and were crushed by the law, <clears throat> I wonder the look on his face, you know, or if the light bulbs went on for at least some of them, like, man, I need you. I need you. And thanks for being here preaching this sermon. 
And I hope that's where all of God's creatures can take God's people is, oh man, we need his life and death so much. Yeah. And I think that's in that Luther quote, uh, Phil shared that um, is what he is bringing out to We're We're just, we're so lost. Uh, but God's promise is yet yeah, the righteousness of Jesus. So there's an act of obedience uh, emphasis you could put in there. This covers us. Um, yeah. And all of these things, imagine Jesus, the perfect one who spoke these words, uh, willingly stepping in and taking the blame for every one of these transgressions against every one of these things he lays out here, right? Great. So just going right to the gospel, to Christ, active, passive obedience. Uh, Phil Kasmer? I mean, in the material we have on the Sunday, you, if you used it, you could pivot to the gospel acclamation. Hallelujah. Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God because that's exactly what I needed. Pure righteousness in my place. Um, all in Christ. Yeah. Yeah. Good connection there too. Uh, verses like that, um, that so clearly point to Jesus as the solution to the problem that he explores the depth of and, and gets us to acknowledge in the words of Matthew 5. Um, any other suggestions for preachers uh, for uh, illustrating, applying the text, um, or perhaps theme ideas that have tied this together, um, Since, which I, I think can be a challenge because there are so many different topics that Jesus addresses here, but maybe it's an opportunity to point people back to the bigger picture. Uh, any suggestions for preachers? Uh, Phil Hebner? Um, well, it's easy to run out of time on <laughs> this text when you're talking about sermon length and stuff like that. But um, I think it's important to get into a little bit of life of sanctification. Um, and and we can maybe tie that back to what we just had last Sunday's or the previous Sunday's text with being salt and light. You know, if we, by God's strength, resist temptation, and if we, by Christ's strength and righteousness, do some of the things he's talking about, you know, in keeping the fifth commandment, sixth commandment, and whatever the commandments you list here, that is so different than the rest of the world. And that really is salt and light. And so that, you know, the application of living that kind of a way uh, in the world to be salt and light to other people, I think is really important. And then I'll just, before I kick it over to Phil, I'll throw out a, a sermon theme since you suggested. Um, I think last time I preached on it, my sermon theme was perfect question mark. Yes, perfect exclamation point. And, and so the way I approached the text was like, really, Jesus, perfect? Like, <laughs> I'm so not perfect. And Jesus is like, yes, I expect you to be perfect. But then I flipped it on to Jesus and thinking like, really, he's perfect? Yes, he is perfect. And then I think I concluded that sermon with a, a point toward heaven that we fall so far short. But yes, perfect is what he finally gives us forever with no sin in heaven. And, and what a joy to look forward to that when these temptations and trials are not my daily cross to bear, um, but the final righteousness is mine forever in heaven. So that's the way I took that last sermon. Um, but I'm interested to hear what you guys think about applications or sermon themes too. Great suggestions. Uh, Phil Kasmer, any to add to that? Um, yeah, I think it is a good, it is a good, uh, emphasis to think about sanctification as the theme and so not only um, 
not to get stuck in the negative of this text because it's law, but to dip back into First Thessalonians four and and say, yeah, it is it is God's will sanctification and it's your it's your joy this holy life, um, and it's a benefit to you and it's a blessing to the world. I I would concur with Bill. I think to not forget First Thessalonians four on this Sunday would be important to reference that as material that expresses ah these things Jesus says are actually good, and I want to do them. Um, if I were going to do a sermon theme idea, I think I might, I might play on that note I had of of radical radical faith, something that is so different than the world, and in point of fact, is different than what my nature thinks, um, but is also so radical because my righteousness comes in Christ, and and then allows me to live as righteous before God. I, I'd probably play with that idea if I was going to do it again. Okay. Yeah, again, getting at the, the heart of the matter and focusing people in on that. Um, good. Uh, yeah, thank you for pointing out that connection with the Thessalonians reading, kind of the, uh, the law now viewed not just as a mirror, but as a guide <clears throat> as we struggle against our sinful natures with this new life and righteousness that Christ has given. Um, yeah, good connection to make there, and and the positive tone that uh, that Paul takes on there in First Thessalonians four, giving those different encouragements, many of which kind of echo uh, the in a positive way the negatives that Jesus has pointed out in Matthew five. Um, all right, well, thank you very much for suggestions. Uh, any final comments, Phil or Phil? All right, well, let's wrap it up there then for today, giving uh, preachers some things to think about as they continue communicating the truths that are there in the Savior's sermon. Uh, all glory be to him for being our life and our righteousness. God bless you as you preach his word.